American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. If you like American Catholic history, please help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about a priest who was murdered in cold blood 100 years ago this week. His offense? He married the daughter of a Ku Klux Klan member to a Catholic Puerto Rican. Yes. Father James Coyle was pastor of St. Paul Parish in Birmingham, Alabama from 1904 until his death in August 1921. He was much beloved among his parishioners, respected by most non-Catholics, and his shocking death and the sham trial of the murderer really meant the beginning of the end for the KKK in Alabama. There is a lot going on here, so let's just dive right in. We'll explore the elements of this story as we go along. Absolutely. So Father James Coyle was born in County Roscommon, Ireland in 1873. He studied at the Jesuit College in Limerick and then attended the American College in Rome. He was ordained at the Lateran Basilica in 1896 and was immediately sent to be a missionary in the Diocese of Mobile in Alabama. He was 23 years old. At the time, the Diocese of Mobile covered all of Alabama and Florida, but at first he was kept in the city of Mobile itself, being assigned to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. He served capably there and then a few years as chaplain at a boys' boarding school before being assigned as pastor at St. Paul Parish in Birmingham. And this is where the story really picks up. Yes, the city of Birmingham was only about 33 years old when Father arrived. It had been founded in 1871 as an industrial center and was actually named after the English industrial city of Birmingham to emphasize its industrial birth. Due to its nearness to key natural resources, plus the lack of organized labor there at the time, Birmingham was able to grow very rapidly, and it became a major rival to industrial cities in the Northeast and Midwest very quickly. It was actually known as the Pittsburgh of the South and also the Magic City due to its incredible growth in steel and other manufacturing. Right. And though it was only 33 years old, it was already at about 300,000 people when Father Coyle arrived. So that's just incredible growth. Well, things were booming in the early decades of the 20th century in Birmingham, and the massive brick Gothic church of St. Paul was the major Catholic church in town. It was neatly situated on the same block as the county courthouse, and the only building between these two imposing edifices was the parish rectory. So Father Coyle was a recognized figure in town from being so centrally located, Every evening after dinner, he could be found on the rectory porch swing, praying his breviary. But it wasn't just the prominent location of St. Paul that helped him gain notice. He was also very involved. He was chaplain to the Knights of Columbus, a member of the ancient order of Hibernians, chaplain to a number of ethnic societies, and a member of the local country club. He mixed well throughout society. 
He was also a prolific writer. He would write poetry as well as articles and op-eds for the local paper, weighing in on matters important to his flock or defending the rights and good names of Catholics, immigrants, and others who were out of society's good favor. This effort was important because as Birmingham grew rapidly, so did anti-Catholic sentiment. The major anti-Catholic movement in this era was the Ku Klux Klan. Now, we've not talked about the KKK much in this podcast yet. When we've talked of violent anti-Catholicism, it has been from the know-nothings. They figured in episode 51 when know-nothings tarred and feathered Father John Baptist and left him for dead. And in episode 80, we talked about how they rioted in Philadelphia in 1844, leaving dozens of Catholics dead and a good many Catholic houses and businesses and a couple of churches burned to the ground. The KKK was, in a way, hoping to complete what the Know Nothing started. So a quick history of the KKK. The whole outfit was begun in the wake of the Civil War. Many Southerners didn't like that the South had lost, and they didn't like the laws that Washington was imposing on them. They did not believe that black Americans should enjoy equal standing in law, they believed slavery should be reinstated, and they definitely didn't believe that blacks should be able to hold office. They frequently resorted to violence, with lynchings and political assassinations. The KKK was very active across the South into the 1870s, but it petered out for a number of reasons. Some of these reasons were internal, like structural weaknesses, while some were external, like the federal government sending out the army to crush their activities. But unfortunately, it didn't stay dead. In 1905, a novel written by Thomas Dixon Jr. called Klansmen presented the KKK as heroes, patriots, resisting the oppressive North and defending Southern honor against violent and untrustworthy black people. The book was adapted into the 1915 movie Birth of a Nation, and the book and the movie inspired the refounding of the KKK. But this time it was different. This new version of the KKK adopted the well-known white robes and pointed hoods, as well as the use of the flaming cross as the symbol of the order. Neither of those was actually part of the original KKK. Both were inventions of Dixon. Another big difference was the target of their hatred. Before, their goal was just to restore the old order of the South with blacks in slavery and whites in power. This time, they were also set against all outsiders, especially Catholics and Jews. To the KKK, the influx of people who were not white Anglo-Saxon Protestants was a serious threat to their pure Americanism. Never mind that Catholics had inhabited and evangelized most parts of the U.S. long before their waspish ancestors moved in. Right. Catholics and Jews and immigrants in general were bad. And since Birmingham was attracting so many immigrants to work in its factories and mining operations, a strong KKK presence developed in Birmingham. So the storm began to brew. And Father James Coyle became a lightning rod. Anti-Catholics published articles making all manner of absurd and malicious allegations against Catholics. Father Coyle wrote responses. Convent inspection laws were passed. Father Coyle protested them strongly in public ways. We've got to tell our listeners what the convent inspection laws were. Oh, yeah. 
Dear listeners, there was a fear among many that Catholics, like the Knights of Columbus, were stockpiling weapons inside Catholic buildings and were just waiting for the word from the Pope to launch an armed insurrection. There also was a belief among these people that good young Protestant women were being kidnapped, held against their will in convents, brainwashed with Popish nonsense, and forced to live as nuns. So for both these reasons, the government needed to authorize law enforcement to have the right to search Catholic institutions like schools, churches, and convents at any time without notice. Absurd. But it does raise an interesting question. Just how many good Protestant families had a daughter just randomly vanish, never to be heard from again? I know. It seems like there would have to have been quite a few to justify something like this yeah. weird suspicion. Yeah. Or they just needed to manufacture an excuse to harass Catholics. More likely. Yeah. But through all of this, Father Coyle kept his good humor and his wits, and he continued to be a friend to immigrants and blacks. In letters to the paper, he refuted the arguments against Catholicism, advocated for the rights of Catholics and immigrants in general, and he calmly but firmly pushed back against the libelous articles. He, he kept his peace and gained great respect among many. He was probably the most well-known Catholic in Alabama and certainly was the most respected. One friendly Protestant minister said of him, There goes one of the simplest, most natural, and most scholarly men that ever preached the gospel in this town. Father Coyle is a graduate of university, but a poor fellow unlearned like me can talk with him all afternoon and never even suspect that he is conversing with a superior person. His clear, wide-open, and wide-apart blue eyes, his firm chin, high and noble brow, and the whole contour of his face and head invite confidence, affection, and admiration. Divest him out of his clerical dress, and you would pick him out in any company as clear-headed, clean-hearted fellow who'd go you for a ten-mile walk in the country with a good cigar and a better story at the end of the jaunt. But he also had very sincere and very dangerous enemies. He received death threats, and the diocese was informed by the FBI that multiple threats against his life were very real. A major source of these threats was the Birmingham chapter of the KKK. The chapter was very new, and a charter member of that chapter was a local Methodist minister, Reverend Edwin Stevenson. Stevenson was known as the marrying parson, because he was always to be found at the courthouse, ready to marry any couples who came for their license. The county courthouse, of course, was right next to St. Paul Church, and Reverend Stevenson and his wife lived just a couple blocks up the road. This meant that to get to the courthouse, Reverend Stevenson had to walk right past St. Paul's every day. So Reverend Stevenson and Father Coyle knew each other, even if they weren't on the best of speaking terms. As you might imagine, that wasn't by Father Coyle's choice. He would happily have welcomed Stevenson for a friendly conversation, but Stevenson wouldn't have it. To him, Catholics were the worst, and Father Coyle was as he's put it, one of humanity's biggest enemies. The Stevensons had a daughter, Ruth, and they naturally filled Ruth's head with all manner of malicious stories about Catholics. But Ruth proved to be more credulous than her parents wished. Ruth would on occasion visit St. Paul Church to enjoy the peace and wonder at the beauty she found there. One day when she was 12, she went up on the porch of the rectory to speak with Father Coyle as he was sitting there. She began to ask him about Catholics and Catholicism and the stuff she saw in the church. Father Coyle, of course, was happy to answer her questions. She was fascinated. 
Her father found out about this and he beat her severely and warned her never to go near Father Coyle again. He threatened that if he found her there, he would burn down that church and do violence to Father Coyle. Well, if you want to encourage a free-spirited child to do something, the best way to do that is to forbid it, especially in violent terms. Seriously. Yeah. As Ruth got older, her interest in Catholicism remained, but she kept it carefully hidden from her father. In 1920, when she was 18, she actually took instruction in the faith and was baptized Catholic in the spring of 1921. When her father found out about this supreme insult and betrayal, he was enraged. Ruth fled their home and went to live with a Catholic family. But since her father was still her legal guardian, he was able to have the police force her to return to his home. He tied her to her bed and beat her mercilessly. Her mother stuffed a rag in her mouth to stifle the screams. This time, he said that if he caught her near the Catholics again, he would kill her and Father Coyle. Ruth was now more committed than ever to getting away from her father. She would be legally freed from her father's control on her 21st birthday, but that was two and a half years away. The other means of being legally emancipated from him was marriage. Fortunately for her, she had a proposal on the table. A wallpaper hanger who had lodged with the Stevensons a number of years before had proposed marriage to her. He was a Puerto Rican immigrant named Pedro Guzman, and he was Catholic. Ruth and Pedro had kept up correspondence, and in this desperate situation, she wrote to him accepting his proposal. So on August 11, 1921, Ruth and Pedro went to nearby Bessemer County for a license. They couldn't go to the Jefferson County Courthouse because they were sure to run into her father. Then they went to the Catholic Church in Bessemer to find a priest, but the priest was not available. So they decided to take the risk and return to Birmingham, where they hoped Father Coyle would marry them at St. Paul. When Father Coyle met them there, he recognized the gravity of the situation and the danger they were all in from her father and the KKK, but the danger didn't matter. He hurried them to the church, and before two witnesses, he married Ruth and Pedro in front of the high altar. After the vows were exchanged, Father Coyle told Ruth that she must inform her parents. Meantime, her father was already alarmed that something was up. Ruth's absence that day was not expected, and he had his suspicions. He had already gone to the police to report his daughter missing and to demand a full search be initiated. So he wasn't at home late that afternoon when Ruth called and left a message with her cousin saying simply, I am married to a Catholic boy. Ruth and Pedro fled Birmingham. Father Coyle went about his day like any other. He knew his life was in danger, but he would not allow that fear to rule him. So that evening after dinner, he did what he always did. He went to the large swing on the front porch to sit and pray his breviary. But as he prayed, Reverend Stevenson, now fully aware of what had taken place and who had done it, mounted the stairs to the rectory porch, walked over to Father Coyle, pulled a pistol from his pocket, and shot the priest three times. The third bullet passed right through his head. Stevenson then strode calmly to the courthouse next door, where he surrendered himself to the police, stating simply, I just shot the priest. Father Coyle was rushed to the hospital, but he died soon after from his wounds. Father's body lay in state in St. Paul's for two days. 
thousands came to pay their respects and mourn the brave, beloved priest. Bishop Allen of Mobile came to offer the funeral mass. Thousands came to the mass, including multiple bishops and many priests. During his sermon, though his voice faltered more than once, Bishop Allen said, Father Coyle was a zealous and devoted missionary. He labored and preached the word of God in season and out of season, visiting the sick, instructing the little ones of the poor and needy and afflicted. He especially labored to bring the people to the holy sacrifice of the mass. Bishop Allen also called Father Coyle a martyr to duty. One parishioner wrote, They have killed all they could kill of Father Coyle, and God has already comforted us with a vision of how little that is. His tragic taking off has only underscored the simple gospel he was always expounding by word and example. If the words were written in fire, they could not be burned more indelibly into the hearts of the Catholics of the district. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Perhaps the best epitaph for Father Coyle was written by his own hand. The last thing he wrote in the church notice book before his murder was, Give, give until it hurts. Then and only then is there sacrifice. The brutal murder caused a sensation beyond the Catholic sphere and beyond Birmingham. Some did sympathize with Stevenson, viewing Father Coyle's actions as indefensible. But many, many more were repulsed by the murder and by its religious motivation. The trial became a national story, with reporters from as far away as New York and San Francisco covering it for their papers. The Ku Klux Klan held fundraisers statewide to raise money for Stevenson's defense. They hired the brilliant young lawyer, Hugo Black, a future senator and future justice of the Supreme Court, to make the defense. Black was not yet a member of the KKK, but would become one in 1923. The trial was a farce. The presiding judge was a member of the KKK, as were a number of members of the jury. Every procedural ruling went against the prosecution, including dismissing the testimony of at least one eyewitness for the most ridiculous reasons. Witnesses for the prosecution were routinely asked about being Catholic as a way to discredit their testimony in the eyes of the jury. When Pedro Guzman was called to the stand, Black had the lights dimmed and the window shades drawn to accentuate his darker complexion. Every trick was used to play to the jury's anti-Catholic and anti-immigrant bigotries. Stevenson's defense was, first, that Father Coyle had attacked him and he fired in self-defense, and second, temporary insanity. Never mind that these two lines of defense are contradictory, it's not insanity if you're acting in self-defense, neither defense, even considered on its own, had a leg to stand on. The physical evidence didn't support his story that father attacked him, and not a single eyewitness supported that story. Plus, given the many threats of violence Stevenson had uttered over the years, it's hard to say that he acted merely in a moment's rush of emotion. But none of that mattered. He was found not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. He was free to go. But life didn't return to normal for him. He was a hero to some, but many others no longer welcomed him in their polite society, and his daughter, his only child, never reconciled with him. 
The implications for Catholics in Alabama and more broadly in the South were mixed. In the short term, violence against Catholics increased as KKK members felt emboldened by this very public acquittal. But in the long term, the effect was the opposite. Public sentiment at large went against the Ku Klux Klan and religious bigotry in general. Twenty years after the killing, a parishioner of St. Paul wrote, The death of Father Coyle was the climax of the anti-Catholic feeling in Alabama. After the trial, there followed such revulsion of feeling among the right-minded who before had been bogged down in blindness and indifference that slowly and almost unnoticeably, the Ku Klux Klan and their ilk began to lose favor among the people. And it is true that KKK, which ruled city and county governments across the South in the early 1920s, had shrunk considerably by 1930 and was effectively gone by the 1940s. Ever since Father Coyle's death, an annual mass has been offered at St. Paul's in commemoration of Father Coyle and to pray for reconciliation, healing, and an end to racial and sectarian violence. And Father's death has been a touchpoint for that work. In 1969, St. Paul's became the cathedral of the new Diocese of Birmingham, and as you can imagine, Father Coyle's witness was a powerful motivator for those fighting for civil rights in that era. Today, the Father James E. Coyle Memorial Project exists to foster respect, justice, and peace among all God's children. They are presently preparing a documentary about his life. We will link to their website in our show notes. And while over the past 100 years since his death, great progress has been made in fostering respect, justice, and peace among all God's children, much work remains to be done. It is for us all to work towards this goal and to follow Father Coyle's last advice. Give. Give until it hurts. Then and only then is their sacrifice. You've been listening to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. Also, check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. And please support the many fine productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. To learn more about Father James Coyle, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest. <laughs> <laughs>